I'm Dr. Amy Tyler with St. Francis Animal Resource Center, and you're listening to Common Bonds Radio. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Burley, Director of Common Bonds with Episode 6. And we're connecting today for a conversation about COVID-19 and our pets with Dr. Laura Nafe. Assistant Professor of Small Animal Internal Medicine at Oklahoma State University. Dr. Nafe, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, hey, before we dive in, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you came to a career in small animal medicine and education. So, yeah, so I actually um, grew up the daughter of two veterinarians, uh, small animal veterinarians in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so many assumed that I would be headed down that same path since it was a big part of my upbringing and I was surrounded by it, you know, every day of of my life. Um, And I definitely, like any kid, um, at certain time periods, I definitely had aspirations to be a veterinarian. I, I was around it too much not to want to do that. But as I got a little bit older and got up into high school, I really started to think I wanted to do something in the medical field, but was leaning more towards um, human medicine. And so when I headed off to college, um, I actually went to a small school in in Maine, a liberal arts school. I majored in biology and was pre-med with thoughts that I would go to medical school. But when it came time to actually apply to medical school, um, I started having a lot of second thoughts and I was still convinced that I wanted to do something medical, but I started to look into physical therapy and audiology and pharmacy and ultimately uh, circled back around to reconsidering veterinary medicine. And um, there were probably lots of things that went into that decision. You know, it's hard to make a life decision when you're 22, but I ultimately decided to apply to uh, veterinary school and got into the University of Missouri. Throughout veterinary school, I I really thought I would probably end up being a small animal general practitioner and join my parents' practice and had thoughts of potentially taking over that practice long term. But as I progressed through school, I really started to enjoy small animal internal medicine and all the courses that went along with that and the puzzle that goes along with complex cases. I also um, had some amazing mentorship there and got involved in some research projects um, specifically involving uh, feline respiratory disease, so asthma um, and other respiratory diseases in cats. And so I started to like the research aspect of things, which led me down the path of wanting to do an internship and residency in internal medicine. Um, The teaching and educating part of it definitely came later. So as I um, was in my residency program, I had a lot of opportunity to teach in in clinics with the fourth year students and really enjoyed that aspect of my residency. And so I decided to kind of put everything together and stay in the academic setting where I could continue teaching and research and also be a clinician. And the the combination of those three is definitely um, extremely rewarding and fun. It keeps every day interesting. It also is obviously just like anything challenging, but it's been a really good fit for me, and I, I wouldn't go back and change anything um, or change my decisions that I made. So uh, how is the novel coronavirus impacting your work right now? So currently we are we are a specialty hospital, so we see cases that are usually primarily referred in to see us because 
the primary care veterinarian is having some challenges with their diagnostic capabilities or um, the case is challenging and needs advanced procedures that potentially can't be performed in that practice. We do also see emergency cases. So we're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So right now we are still open and seeing cases. We have cut back on our caseload for a few reasons. Um, we, we are not seeing anything that we would consider elective. So we're seeing emergency cases. We're seeing what we call essential rechecks. So those cases that truly need to be rechecked on a, a weekly or monthly basis by the specialty service that's been seeing them. And one of the big reasons we're trying to limit some of the number of cases we're seeing is uh, our current number of people that are here and working. We do not have any clinical year students in the building anymore, so they have been taken um, out of the clinics, and we're doing all of our teaching virtually, um, primarily on platforms such as Zoom and Flipgrid and other teaching platforms, trying to simulate case management with those students. Um, but we're also trying to somewhat limit what, we're, what we use on a daily basis that could potentially um, impact the, the human healthcare side. And what I mean by that is all of the personal protective equipment. We have donated a lot of our personal protective equipment to hospitals in Oklahoma. And I know a lot of other veterinary hospitals are doing the same thing. And so just like veterinary, just like human hospitals are limiting the number of elective procedures they're doing to try to conserve uh, some of that PPE, we are doing the same thing here. Um, so some of it's a staffing um, concern and some of it is, is also just trying to conserve some of the, the resources that we have so that we make sure we have them for humans when they become sick with COVID. Besides the uh, diagnostic challenges you mentioned, uh, what else are you hearing uh, from veterinarians on the front line about how they, they're having to, you know, adjust their operations uh, in this new age? So it's interesting. I, I think that a lot of the general practitioners that I've spoken to actually have seen an increase in their caseload. And I think some of that they say might be just because people are home more and they're seeing, they're noticing things in their pets that maybe they didn't notice before. So that's one thing that has potentially changed. Um, the other comment that I've heard from some practitioners is that they have uh, actually seen a, an uptick in or an increase in euthanasias. And I think some of that has to do with the uncertainties associated with the financial aspect of the COVID-19 pandemic and um, the fact that owners are, are not sure when their next paycheck will come or if it will come. And so I think there's some concerns on uh, spending finances on pets, which is extremely sad and unfortunate right now. Um, I do think there's some uh, changes in, in some of our diagnostic capabilities just in regards to um, potentially sending off for lab tests and things. Just like anything, I feel like the mail is a little bit slower these days. But for the most part, a lot of our diagnostic capabilities, both in the general practice setting and in our setting, have remained somewhat the same. So I don't think it's impacted us to, to that degree. We have taken measures, and I think most veterinary clinics in the area and throughout the nation have done this as well. But we have taken measures to 
try to protect ourselves, um, so our staff and our clients from interaction and concern for transmission between person to person. And so we do have a survey that we have owners fill out before they're able to bring their pet in, asking questions about travel and current illness or current exposure to any positive uh, COVID um, humans. And then also we are not currently letting any clients into the hospital. So um, most veterinary clinics have gone to more of a curbside uh, drop off of pets and all communication is done over the phone in most situations. Obviously, uh, Dr. Nath, there's a lot of information about the human um, cost and impact of the the coronavirus, and and rightfully so. Um, The impact has been super enormous in so many ways, but what's been a little harder, I think, to wrap our arms around is how this plays out uh, with our pets. And so what's the current thinking on how easily this is transmitted from humans to animals and from animals to humans? That's a great question. And I think like a lot of the what we're learning about human COVID, I think there's this knowledge of how COVID impacts pets and transmission is ever-changing in what we're learning about it. I'll tell you that what we do know so far is, at least in the United States, there have not been any documented cases of um, dogs or cats or, or even livestock being diagnosed with COVID-19. There is a PCR test that has been developed for COVID-19 um, that can be run on pets. And so, um, IDEX, which is one of the large veterinary diagnostic labs, has actually um, in their research setting, not commercially available, but in the research setting, they have tested a large number of samples that have been sent in from dogs and cats specifically to see if they are positive, and they have yet to find a positive sample. Um, there is a tiger at the Bronx Zoo, as I'm sure many people know about, that has been confirmed to be positive. That test actually was not performed through IDEX Diagnostics. I believe it was diagnosed through a lab in Iowa. Currently, we we don't know for sure um, what the transmission is like. There are documented reports outside of the United States, specifically Hong Kong, and then a cat in Belgium, where um, two two dogs and then potentially two cats, I say potentially two because the the cat in Belgium, the testing um, was not definitive, but there's at least two dogs and one cat from Hong Kong that were noted to be positive after living in close contact with a COVID positive human. Um, None of those animals uh, showed clinical symptoms and they, none of them passed away from COVID-19. So we, we do believe that it is possible for pets to potentially um, get COVID-19 from an infected human. To my knowledge, no one knows whether or not a pet can transmit COVID-19 to their human owner or to a human. Um, so we don't know if it can go in that direction. Uh, we do know that cats and ferrets seem to be more susceptible to coronaviruses in general. And so we suspect that they are also more susceptible to COVID-19 and whether they get it and are positive but don't show any clinical symptoms 
so like an asymptomatic carrier, like many humans are thought to be, or whether they actually show respiratory signs, like the tiger in the Bronx Zoo showed, I think depends on the pet, depends on um, their particular immune system. So what what symptoms would would accompany COVID-19 in a, in a dog or a cat? Well, the only symptomatic uh, dog or cat, and I use the term cat loosely, um, that we know of is the tiger in the Bronx Zoo, which, you know, is a, is a large felid. It is a cat. Um, that particular case did have respiratory symptoms. So the symptoms would be, we would expect the symptoms to be somewhat similar to the symptoms that humans show. And most of those symptoms are going to be respiratory in origin. So cough, potentially sore throat, fever, general fatigue and lethargy, uh, just like in people. There are a percentage of people who have GI symptoms associated with their COVID-19. So I believe it's somewhere between 10 and 20% of people can develop GI symptoms such as diarrhea and vomiting. There are some true what we call enteric coronaviruses, which are coronaviruses in dogs and cats that are totally separate from COVID-19, but that's a specific type of coronavirus that can affect the GI tract. And so it's possible that our veterinary or our companion uh, animals, such as dogs and cats, could have GI symptoms as a component of COVID-19 if they were to get it. But currently, right now, we really haven't seen symptoms in dogs and cats. And so while we have a few positive test results floating around in the world, we haven't seen them actually become clinical. So I think that's an important thing for owners to note. We anticipate that they would have primarily respiratory symptoms such as people. How concerned are you um, about COVID-19 mutating and potentially being an even bigger problem well, not only on the human side, but on the animal side as well? Well, I think there's a lot of uncertainty in in the world right now about COVID-19 and, and how things are going to progress on, on the human healthcare side of things. And I think the same is true on the veterinary side. You know, viruses are very good at mutating. And we know that um, some of the influenza viruses we, we see actually Um, mutated and came from horses over into dogs, and they have had an impact. Um, And a lot of the viruses we see that that mutate and do cause problems and can cause um, a lot of of illness in our companion pets and even death are commonly respiratory viruses. So I think the potential is there. I think until we document that dogs and cats can actually get COVID-19 and get ill from it, and it can cause considerable clinical signs and even death, I don't think that we can be that worried yet, if that makes sense. I I, I'm, I definitely think this is a bigger impact to uh, humans at this time point, and, you know, certainly it is possible that this virus over time could mutate, but the time frame for when that may happen and how that may impact our companion animals is completely unknown at this time. Dr. Laura Nafe is assistant professor of small animal internal medicine at Oklahoma State University and our guest on this edition of Common Bonds Radio. Dr. Nafe, um, as the number of positive COVID-19 cases climbs exponentially in the human population, 
um, more and more pet owners are going to be affected. Uh, so what do they need to do to help ensure their pet safety? That's a great question. And I think it's a, something that people are really concerned about because people view their pets as one of their family members. And so the last thing they want is to be concerned about their own health and then also be concerned about potentially passing that illness on to their pet and making their pet ill, who's an important part of their um, support system. What we're recommending to pet owners right now is if they have symptoms of COVID-19 and they are either confirmed to be positive or suspect they are positive for that, we are asking that they try to limit contact with their cats and dogs, their companion pets. Um, And and really, I I should extend that to any companion pet. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, dog or cat, but those are the most common um, animals that are living in houses with us. But we ask that they limit their contact with those companion pets just like they would another human in their household. And the best way to do that is to, you know, wear a mask when you're around that um, that pet. Try to avoid uh, close contact for prolonged periods of time. So try to avoid those nightly snuggles in, in the bed, um, kisses, pre- preparation of food for that pet. Um, excessive, you know, petting, all of those things need to ideally be avoided. And obviously just practicing good hygiene techniques as well. So washing your hands for at least 20 seconds, um, making sure that you're being really careful um, when you're around uh, the humans in your household as well as your pets. For those owners and that don't have someone else in their household that can take care of um, the pet, so can kind of take over care of their companion animal, um, we ask that they just be really careful um, with with their contact. So again, wearing a mask and not being in close contact uh, with that pet um, as much as possible. So we realize that obviously if, if you can just turn over care of that pet to someone else in the household that is not sick, that is the ideal scenario. But we realize that's not always possible in some households. And we also realize there's many pets that service service animals to their owners. And so it's important that they they do be around each other. So just practicing good hygiene, just like you would if you were around a human, if you were a positive COVID patient. Dr. Nafe, you mentioned uh, a slight uptick in euthanasias uh, from a financial consideration of some folks that, that are worried about being able to financially care for their pet. And I know we've seen some examples of people surrendering their dogs and cats out of fear that they'll con- uh, contract COVID-19 from their pets. Um, what would be your message to those folks who may be concerned either financially or from a physical standpoint as a result of the virus? So right now we have no evidence to believe that dogs or cats can be carriers of COVID-19 and transmit it to their owners. That's not to say it's not possible. Um, we, we don't know that for sure, but we have no evidence that that has occurred. So I would definitely tell pet owners that you are much more likely to get COVID-19 from another human um, than you are your pet. And we don't usually, you know, give away our, our husbands and wives and kids. So think the same about your pet. Um, as long as you're practicing good hygiene techniques when you're around them, it shouldn't be a great concern. I think you're much more likely going, getting it from other humans in public. The majority of the transmission of COVID-19 is person to person. 
So I would tell owners to really consider that. And um, obviously, there's many reasons why owners may may elect to, to euthanize or surrender their pet. But I hope it's not because of concern that their pet is going to give them COVID-19 because we have no evidence for that right now. I know you're in the throes of this. We're all in the throes of this virus right now, but I was on a, a call this week with the partners of Common Bonds who run municipal shelters, nonprofit rescues, and spay-neuter uh, services and transport hubs, and e- each of their operations have been impacted and adjusted to ensure the safety of their workers. Uh, but out of all of that is, I think, this growing real concern about a tsunami of unintended dogs and cats entering entering the world. So, Dr. Nafe, as we emerge from this crisis, and we don't know when that's going to be, but eventually we will emerge from this crisis, um, how important will things such as spay-neuter services be, as well as what people can do to adopt and foster uh, pets? Yeah, that's a that's a good question and something that I haven't really thought that much about because I I don't do um, you know most of my interaction with companion pets is uh, sick companion pets who are client owned. You know, we we do do some work with rescues and shelters. Um, I think it's important that people consider. I actually think that it's very possible that the adoption rate, and I've already heard that people are fostering more pets. I don't know if that's just because they know that's a need right now, or again, people are finding themselves at home and with more time to potentially foster pets. But I I think it's very possible that we may see a huge increase in pet adoptions because people are looking for Um, that extra companion in their household and someone to do outdoor activities with in this time where that's pretty much the only place we can go um, other than our houses. And so, you know, it's providing some, um, some added, you know, another, another thing to take care of in the household and something to focus on besides the pandemic. So I think that's one possibility. I do think that there will be likely a, a need for more spay neuter, um, options. And I know that we have a shelter service here at Oklahoma State um, that does spay neuter for uh, various shelters and rescue organizations. And I know that they've had to cut back on how many they're able to do in a day just because we don't have those um, clinical year students anymore doing all those surgeries. And so I, I think as we see um, more and more places, just like veterinary clinics, I'm sure shelters are the same way, cut back in the number of, of staff they have there per day and the number of procedures they're able to do per day, um, then that's going to impact our ability to, um, you know, offer enough spays and neuters for those pets that are getting adopted. So I, I guess I do, that's a long answer to your question, but I, I do foresee that as a, as a concern that I hadn't actually considered until just now, but I, I don't necessarily know how to fix it other than um, you know, asking people to maybe be patient. And, um, you know, I think people are, are thinking, I think there are a lot of people in the world, myself included, are thinking about ways they can volunteer their time and they can help. And um, maybe that's a place that people could consider volunteering their time and helping. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of, and, and veterinarians could consider that as well. I think there's a lot of human, um, you know, human healthcare focus, and that's great. Um, we definitely need to focus on them. They're they're the heroes in all of this. But 
um, perhaps there's there's ways to contribute beyond that. Well, Dr. Nafe, I know you have a busy four to five weeks ahead to get your uh, semester wrapped up. We wish you all the best um, in the time you have remaining um, in, in the spring term. Is there anything that you'd like to add uh, to our conversation that I might have missed? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I think this is a really important topic to get out to, to the listeners. Um, the only thing I'd like to add about um, just the, the pet ownership side of things that I think is also an important consideration is when all of this started about, um, you know, three, four weeks ago, one of the recommendations other than to stock up on toilet paper, which is the interesting recommendation to me, was to make sure that you have enough of your own, you know, personal medications and make sure you have enough food. I think the same is true for our, our veterinary um, patients. So, you know, if you are a pet owner and your pet has a, a, a disease that you're currently managing, I don't know what the next few weeks are going to hold in regards to where we're going to be allowed to go and what we're going to be able to do. So I would recommend that you try to go ahead and get your your pet's medication refilled, make sure you have enough of that, um, and also make sure that you have enough food for them in case you do end up needing to be self-quarantined or isolated for a few weeks at a time. Dr. Laura Nafe, Assistant Professor of Small Animal Internal Medicine at Oklahoma State University, thank you so very much. Thank you.